and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. All right, well, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're in the last passage in James 4 today, tonight. And uh, let me tell you that as a child, I used to love the old Batman TV show with Adam West. Uh, I didn't even know there was any other kind of Batman, uh, you know, out there because of uh, how much I loved that one, you know, so corny and so wonderful. I used to love every once in a while, you know, you'd see that motorcycle go across the screen and that meant Batgirl was going to be on that one, you know, and maybe, some of y'all might have seen it when it was first on TV. I was watching the reruns, of course, but um, uh, and, and then every once in a while on TV, they would show the Batman movie, the movie uh, that went along with the TV show. And one of my favorite scenes uh, from that movie was Batman running around a pier. Remember the one? He was running around a pier, and he had a bomb in his hand. And I don't know why it didn't occur to Batman just to stop the fuse from going, but he thought, I've got to dispose of this bomb before it goes off, right? And so he ran this away holding the bomb, and it never did occur to him just to you know, stop the fuse from going, but he's running around, the bomb's going, you know, and uh, there's a marching band, so he can't throw it that way. So he takes the bomb and comes over this way, and there's a lady with a stroller as he's about to throw it. He says, oh, I can't do that. And then he goes over, and he's about to throw it over the um, uh, pier there into the water, and he sees a mother duck and some ducklings swimming. He says, oh, I can't throw it on top of them, you know. And, and he just kind of has one of those looks on his faces, and he says, huh, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And uh, anyway, it was so neat. But believe it or not, Christians are sometimes like this. We're carrying around dynamite, or TNT, uh, and it's with us every day. And if Christians are not careful, the TNT they have not used correctly uh, could do great damage. It could explode. And you say, well, my goodness, Pastor Danny, what in the world are you talking about? Well, on the other hand, if the TNT that they're carrying around there, like Batman was carrying the bomb, is used correctly great advancements of Christ's kingdom uh, can occur. Most of the times we drive somewhere, we go through the mountains, they've done blasted away through there, right? So there's a good purpose for dynamite, there's a bad purpose for dynamite, but TNT. What is our TNT, you ask? It's our time and our treasure. Our time and our treasure. And chapter 4 of the book of James ends with Pastor James challenging how the believer uses his God-given time, her God-given time. And then chapter 5 begins with Pastor James challenging us as believers on how we use our God-given treasure. So we're going to look at chapter 4, the God-given time that he gives us, and today and then next time we're going to look at the treasure that he's given us because Pastor James does. Both of those are what we would call stewardship issues. Uh, a steward is entrusted something by the one who really owns it and is going to be accountable to the one that really owns it for their stewardship of those things. So not only are we going to give an account for our treasure, but also for our time. So when believers talk about stewardship, we're realizing everything we have is a gift of God, 
and we're simply stewards or caretakers of the time and treasure that belong to another that he has entrusted to us. So there's your fill in the blank, that first one. He has entrusted to us. And again, this week time, next week treasure. Let's read James 4, 13 through 17. Pastor James says to those disciples who had all been worshiping with him at Jerusalem and now have been scattered out throughout the Roman Empire. Some of them are heading toward their own city. Some of them are making plans and going different places. And they say that when a person's displaced, sometimes it takes as much as 20 years before they are settled somewhere. So they had some, a lot of uncertainties before them. And sometimes when you don't know exactly what you're going to do, you'll just make a hasty decision. And Pastor James is trying to help them uh, make sure they don't leave God out of their decision making. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him or to her, it is sin. So the believer's time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing challenges that Pastor James gives that first set of Christians who had worshiped together in Jerusalem, and by extension, the rest of us that they've influenced down through the centuries, God. Uh, Lord, you have said specific things to me and to us during this time about uh, the battle with temptation and the, uh, the use of the tongue, and so many ways you've spoken to us uh, to make sure our faith is not uh, without works. We know faith alone saves, but we know that that faith will lead to bearing fruit. Thank you for James's challenge in those areas, God. And now as he moves toward the close of his letter, Lord, and he starts challenging us related to time and treasure, help us, Lord, to uh, be good stewards of the time that you've given us, the days, the weeks, the months, the years. I pray that we would be people that make every day count. And Lord, I pray that uh, each of us will not be satisfied with uh, mediocre um, impact for your kingdom, God. Uh, both as individuals and together as a church, uh, you will bless your people extending themselves and pouring themselves out for others the way that James and Paul and Peter and uh, the early disciples Priscilla and Aquila and others, Phoebe and others did, Lord God. I pray that you would bless us as we look at our own time, the believer's time. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So the believer's team is God's. That's the theme of this passage. And the time you have been given is a gift from God. I think about Psalm 139, verse 16. I've given it to you there in your notes, but I love how it says, God, in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. We can truly tell people God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, I think that I've often said, but one of the first things we need to get down is that um, any plans we have that God would want to uh, say no to and anything He'd rather us do and anything He calls us to do in obedience to His Word will always be the winner in that deal. It'll always be best for us when we choose God's best rather than coming up with our own plans, right? Well, look at verse 13. 
He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. It says, If Pastor James is saying, Listen up, you who leave God out when you're planning your time out. I like that. We leave God out when we're planning our time out. Well, I don't like that we do it. I just like the way that sounded. But many of us are like a lot of people that Pastor James was addressing. We're very good at making our plans, um, but we too often do it leaning on our own understanding and without a lot of prayer for God's guidance and will. Uh, many people, probably in a room, even with this number of people, and somebody's favorite passage is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And what a great couple of verses that is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Boy, it's a great couple verses, and it is awesome. And yet, uh, we very often lean on our own understanding instead of trusting the Lord, don't we? Uh, my goodness. Oh, I thought that was coming from the youth room. <laughs> well, Pastor James' words kind of indicate that that's what they were doing. They were leaning on their own understanding as they made their plans. And that's very understandable. I mean, they must have been frantic, you know, uh, after having to leave in short time Jerusalem and go to the different places they were going. And that can make you, uh, that can be very unsettling. And sometimes you'll say, I just got to make a decision, I'll go with it. And we then uh, wonder, did, did that honor God? You know, I, I needed to do something and I did it. And then you realize, oh, I didn't even pray about that. I didn't even seek the Lord's face about it. I didn't even ask my trusted godly counselors anything to pray with me about it. Well, look at verse 14. He says, but you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So, throughout the scriptures, this kind of thought appears that our lives are like a vapor, you know, and we're getting toward that time of year where we're going to see our breath, right? When you breathe out on a cold morning or a cold night and you can see your breath go out there, you can see it happen like that, and then you can't see it. It's very quick and it's kind of cool. It's always cool when it comes and that happens, but James says that's what life is like. It's just here and then it's gone. And many of you can testify to that. My grandmother lived into her 90s, and any time I would talk to her, it was like uh, talking, uh, you know, we just sit down and we, it'd be so nice to talk to her. And I wish I could talk to her again now and look forward to seeing her in heaven. Um, but sometimes you could just, she was back to that eight or nine-year-old little girl just talking, you know. And some of you are like that, you know. You, 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 that, that, that wonder of life is still there, but the body is a lot older than the eight or nine-year-old body, right? And the body's let you down, but you still feel young inside like that, you know? Many athletes get hurt uh, because they try to do things they could do when they're a little kid. I better not tell myself here, you know? I used to love riding my big wheel down a hill when I was a little kid. I did something like that with Alan in the gym a little while ago. It's a wonder neither of us broke our neck, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, you can't do what you want to do, but inside you still feel that. And, and, and the way the author of Ecclesiastes says it, Solomon, he says, um, you've set eternity in our hearts, right? We know, there's, you know that, that we're going to go on forever somehow, you know, but the body doesn't always feel that way. Your life will be gone as quickly as the breath you breathe out on a cold day, here and gone, that's what this life is. So James' implication is clear. Since life is so short... Why are you planning to settle for a life that largely leaves God out? 
I find these verses very convicting because that's what he's saying, you know, is we make our plans. But you've heard that man proposes, God disposes, right? And he laughs at our plans and those things. Uh, I mean, this, this, since life is short, we want to make every day count. And if we don't really take into consideration what God wants to do with our days, with our months, with our weeks, with our years, then we can really... Um, mess a lot up. Look at verse 15. Instead, James has a prescription for us. He's not just meddling with us. He's saying, I've got a better way. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So we ought to be thinking more about what God wants for our life with the precious time that He gives us. So we can make this a prayerful statement that every believer should often make. God my life is a gift from you. Whatever you want for my life is what I want for my life. I will yield my plans to what your plans are for me. So sometimes I think about this when I'm singing praises to the Lord. I've been accused of being a Pentecostal because I raised my hands, but no Pentecostal friend I've ever had when they hear my theology accuses me of being a Pentecostal. And every once in a while somebody say, well, I'm a Baptocostal, but my personal opinion is that Baptists make lousy Pentecostals because Baptists usually stick with the Word and Pentecostals many times are seeking an experience. But because I'm enthusiastic in worship, sometimes people say, well, you're a Pentecostal, you know, whatever. And uh, somebody said that to RJ about me earlier on before RJ died. And RJ said, man, if that's what that is, we all need some of that. You know? <laughs> um, but... Throughout the scriptures, every part of the scriptures, men and women are encouraged to raise up hands in praise to the Lord. And we think about how the clenched fist goes, no, no, I won't do that. Um, you know, I, 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 will, I will live my life, not what you want. That's not a posture of yielding, is it? Um, the open hand is a posture of yielding, a posture to receive. Uh, Lord, I receive from you. Here's my life. Take it and make it what you want it to be. I'm not doing this to God. I'm doing this to God. And James is saying, in your planning, don't shake the fist at God like, God, you better bless this because I'm going to do it anyway. But instead, God, here's what I'm thinking. But let me pray about this because I, I don't want to go forward if I don't have your peace. And that's a real key thought to all this, you know, is that before you pull the trigger on a decision and you can't take it back, you should really make sure that you've applied all the scriptural wisdom you can muster. That might involve some talking to Christian friends about an important decision uh, and seeing if they see what you see because there's a multitude of counselors help. But then having God's peace. And Lord, if this is not of you, don't let me have a peaceful heart about this. Help me have an unsettled heart uh, about this. So again, that statement, God, my life is a gift from you. Whatever you want for my life is what I want. I will yield my plans to your plans for me. Then he says in verse 16, Instead you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now again, he's not talking to uh, people that don't know God here. He's talking to his fellow believers once he had pastored, and he's accusing them of a boasting in what they're going to do that's left God out, and there being an arrogance to that. So I really had to sift through that as I was thinking, what does he have in mind here? Because it's hard for God's people to hear rebukes from each other. And Pastor James is saying something to us here. So here's what it is. Planning without God is arrogant because it presumes God is going to let your plan go forward without detours. Um, and that's where the laughing laughter of God comes in because many times when we're, uh, you know, uh, on a road, 
that um, isn't what God has for us, He keeps throwing up detours. <laughs> Bridge out ahead. <laughs> uh, here's a detour going around this way. And God is relentlessly trying to get us back to where He wants us to be. You see this in Pilgrim's Progress, you know. Every time Pilgrim goes down the wrong road and it's his idea instead of God's idea, uh, there's some signs that he shouldn't have gone down that road, and then there's detours trying to get him back on the road. It's evil because it boasts of what you want to accomplish instead of what God wants to use you to accomplish. And so um, verse 17 is a haunting conclusion to the discussion of the believer's time. When you know what to do and don't do it, it's a sin. Whoo! Now, many times that verse is taken out of context here and used for uh, other things. But in this context, it is, God, I'm going to do this. Bless it. <laughs> and that's why guys like me are so offended that all of J a guy like Joel Osteen's preaching is saying, you've got things you want to do. Go ahead and launch out courageously to do them. And God's going to bless you as you do what you want to do. And it's almost leaving God out completely or reducing God to cheerleader instead of Lord, right? So I'm getting out on the field, God. I'm going to do it. You made me. So I know you just, you always just so smile at me. I just you pat me on the head and stuff. I'm going to go out there. And, and, and we reduce God to being our cosmic cheerleader instead of the one who might have a different plan for our life that would accomplish more for him if we would get ourselves out of the way and look into what he wants us to be about and to do. Um, now, folks, I'm not just blowing smoke here because I have talked to so many Christians over the years and some of them for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. They've known that God had something for them to do and they've been resisting God and doing that thing all this time. And many of them are miserable. Um, they've been running for what God wanted for their life. And by this time, they think, well, that ship sailed. I can't do that anymore. And uh, it's amazing how much more in life there is and, and how many times if we'll finally go ahead and, and say, yes, Lord, instead of no, Lord, what he can do in those moments. Um, is that person still saved? I believe so, of course. Um, their faith is in Christ. He's forgiven their sins. Uh, they, they, just, uh, they, they just have missed what could have happened through their life with a, a full yieldedness to the Lord. The world missed also the contribution they could have made, whether it was on the mission field, whether it was a laboratory somewhere, you know, uh, whether it was as a stay-at-home mom, uh, uh, or as a work, a dad that worked 20 less hours a week, you know, he didn't take the promotion, but instead stayed right on course there and had that extra 20 hours to spend with his children or whatever it was, the decisions people make along the way. I wrote in your notes the name Joy Ritterhoff and Gospel Recordings. This is one of my favorite stories of how uh, that James 4 thing could unfold in somebody's life. Um, so, Joy Ritterhoff came from an average Christian family. She had grown up to be an average Christian young woman, beautiful in the Lord, growing, strong believer. Growing up, her family didn't have a lot of money, but her home was filled with memories of singing and love. At age 13, she gave her heart to Jesus and began a lifelong and eternity-long relationship with Him. After high school, 
she went to UCLA. She had plans to be a teacher. Hadn't prayed about it very much, just said, you know what, uh, people around here go to UCLA. She's from California, I'll go to UCLA, and she did. She participated in Bible clubs and tried to witness to her neighbor. She even sang in a quartet. She was doing things for the Lord that came up at her church and that sort of thing. But she had this nagging uh, feeling that uh, there could be more. Inside, she battled anxiety, worrying all the time about the whether pl the plan she had for the future was really what God had for her. Then one day, she went to church, and the church had a guest speaker. And the guest speaker happened to be a man named Robertson McQuilkin. And if you have not heard that name, he is a tr tremendous figure in the faith, uh, who for years was the president of Columbia, uh, Bible College, uh, Columbia Biblical University is what it's called now, a place that has sent missionaries around the world. And her church had him in as a speaker. By the way, there's a great testimony of when his wife got Alzheimer's, him stepping down as president to care for her during those years. And it's, it's just a tearjerker about how, and as he told that testimony, it had as big as impact of all the other things, encouraging people to live out their vows, you know, in their, the life of their marriage. But anyway, um, she never forgot what he said that day. He said, worry is a sin. It amounts to a grievous lack of faith in the Father's care. And she couldn't get that out of her mind. Worry is a sin. And she said, God, I've worried. I've tried to take care of uh, my, uh, by my own planning. I've tried to remove any kind of worry I would have. And uh, it's kept me from living by faith. And um, something beautiful happened in her in that moment, and she decided then there to trust God, and she almost instantly felt God calling her to transfer away from UCLA to a Christian college. And oftentimes, when you think about a Christian college, you go to the last speaker you heard that was from a Christian college. So she went right down to Columbia Bible College uh, there from California, went to Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, it was tremendous. And there she felt the call to be a missionary. And this courageous single woman wound up going to Honduras as a missionary, which itself would have been great service. Uh, but she never got over that, uh, Lord, is there, is there something else by faith you want me to do? And so she felt led of God to found Gospel Recordings Incorporated. Gospel Recordings Incorporated. She noticed that Wycliffe Bible Translators does a tremendous work. They go to a place where there's no language, they learn the language, they print the language, they teach the people their language, and then put the writings in it, and the first one's the Bible, right? But she also realized that that's a 20-year process, and a lot of people that are in, and usually Wycliffe goes to they might do different now, but they, they want there to be, you know, a lot of people, you know, that, so the, the, when the translation's done, it's going to influence tens of thousands of people and stuff. Uh, and uh, she realized there's all kinds of places where the people were illiterate uh, and they probably, they were used to, for thousands of years even, some of these villages, they were used to talking and telling stories to each other rather than any kind of reading or writing whatsoever. So she said, what if we could go into a village 
and work with one person in that village to put some of the best things that are in the scriptures into those. And before they ever get their scriptures, before they ever get a church or whatever, they would already have these gospel recordings that they could play. They could wind up and play or they'd be solar powered and they could play or whatever using all the technologies over the years. In that village forevermore, if somebody started asking about Jesus, they'd said, hey, the chief has these tapes that were left, these gospel recordings, right? Well, so cool. Because do you know there's well over 5,000 of those now around the world? And um, when I pray for unreached people groups, there's usually three or four things they say. Do they have a Jesus film? Do they have any scriptures? Do they have any gospel recordings? And many times the answer is yes. This is a book called Operation China. Boy, I wish there was one like this for India. But there's, this is Operation China. And I've prayed through it several times. And you know there's a billion Han Chinese people in China, but there's also over 500 people groups of 10,000, of 50,000, of 300,000, etc. And every once in a while, you'll see that a tribe has gone from uh, zero Christians to 10, 15% of the uh, population in that the tribe is Christians. And many times, a missionary has wound up serving there and or something like gospel recordings that is access to the gospel. And that was all because of Joy Ritterhoff, uh, you know, having her anxiety dealt with and saying, you know, Lord, I, I am living a, a good life and good things are happening, but I have this sense that you've got more. And in that moment that Robertson McQuicken was speaking, she didn't run from that moment anymore. In fact, she surrendered and God used her mightily. So thank God that this obedient single woman decided to lay her time and her plans at the foot of the cross. Of course, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with her being a teacher. The world needs teachers, um, if that's what God had wanted. But He had other plans for her, and she had to seek that out to see if that was true. And that's the way it is for some of us as well. Um, I wonder, could that be true of anybody in this room? And you've kind of settled for living an average Christian life. You've mapped out your own plan, and it pretty much carries you all the way to the grave. And if that, what, that's what God wants for you, that's fine. Um, but have you asked God if your plans for your life are what He wants for your life? That's a great question, isn't it? And it's worth praying and saying, God, you've been good to me. I love you. And I don't know exactly how many days, weeks, months, or years I have left. But uh, God, if there's something you want me to be about, then uh, I will say yes. George Mueller, until he was 70, did the great orphanages in Bristol, England, and other places in England. And, uh, but he asked a question like that. God, is there something else you want me to be doing? And he had gotten to the point where the orphanages were such a blessing from God for so many people, but they were being run and everything was taken care of and things like that. And God specifically called George Whitfield to spend the remaining years of his life, and it wound up being from the age of 70 to the age of 87, and George Whitfield literally traveled the world, told the story of the orphanages, and led tens of thousands of people to Christ as an evangelist. And both of those were cool assignments from the Lord because the Lord uses everything, but he asked that question, and yet God did indeed have something else for him as well. And what we want to do is we want to get alone with God in the hush of silence and say, God, is there something you have for my life that I'm completely missing? And this is really for people of any age. It's uh, 
for the teenager that's considering what God would do with their life. Uh, but I've also seen the pages of church history, particularly Baptist history. It's amazing how many of our great Baptist heroes, men and women of the faith, that got saved later in life and received a call to minister later in life and obeyed that call. And all of a sudden, uh, there was a first half of their life, there was a second half of their life, and God used it greatly. One of the most exciting developments of the last few years is how many uh, men and women are able to retire early, right? So uh, in the past, many times people would work well into their 60s, their 70s, etc. A good number of people are now able to retire in their late 40s, their 50s, and their 60s, and things like that. Not everybody is, but there's a good number are. And one of the things I've done as I've been on mission trips around the world is meet a lot of, and, and this, our Southern Baptist Convention provides great means for this to happen. Um, I've met a lot of uh, mission service corps, is that what it is? They usually like to start the other missionaries out younger, but they've got a bunch of mission service corps missionaries around the world who are also funded because of the cooperative program giving. So if they're accepted into this, they get their training in Rockville, Virginia, uh, at the International Mission Board, International Learning Center there, and then they go serve for two years, and if that works out, they re-up them for another two or three years, and like that, and it just keeps on going as long as it seems to be working for everybody. And some of our best International board, Mission Board missionaries around the world are part of that program that uh, ha are actually doing it now, even though they retired uh, from something else. Pretty cool, pretty cool. And because most foreign cultures treat their elders with more respect than ours does, many of them are writing home to their kids and saying, I feel so alive! I had no idea there could be so much fulfillment on the other side of retirement. So, as we lay our plans before God, ask God to give you peace if you're doing exactly what He wants you to do with your time. Sometimes that means something different in the church. Sometimes that for people means being part of a church plant instead of their established church, you know. Uh, to get the gospel somewhere else and to get something else growing. Seen that happen over the years as our church up there helped a lot of church plants and helped revitalize churches. Uh, sometimes I've seen places where there was a surplus of music leaders at one place and all of a sudden they said, hey, you know what? That little church doesn't have anything. I'm going to go and serve there, you know, and, uh, and, and different things like that. Uh, that might be the so, so is it you're praying for God to give you peace in the exact same assignment or if he's got redirecting for you uh, to somewhere else in the church, the community, the country, or the world, uh, you're asking him to do that. If you're doing exactly what he wants you to with your time, you're asking for peace. But if a restlessness remains, we want to ask God to lead you to the uses of your time that would best honor him. That's your fill in the blank there, restlessness on that one. Um, and you know what? I'll say this before I close. This has been one of my favorite conversations to have with people over the years uh, when the Lord just won't let it go for them and they realize it's something else within the church. It might be something else within the community or the country or the world. And over my 30-something years ministering, I've had the privilege, it's over 100 people now, to see, uh, well, when you count just within the church too, it's up to several hundred people now, you know, get to where uh, God wants them to be and to encourage them uh, in that process. Uh, and it all goes back to what Pastor James is saying here. Their plans were to put everything else first and then 
probably among their number were those that said, okay, when everything else gets settled, when everything else is just the way it is, then God, I will do. And James knew that day wasn't ever going to come that way. And so he says, bring God into the front end of that. Bring God into the front end of that. Uh, one of my favorite men on earth, Bill Brown, did that. He was a math major. He wanted to go be a NASA astronaut. And uh, God changed everything for him. And he's wound up becoming one of the best Bible professors and then seminary or college presidents. And now he works for the Colson Center. And all along the way, God has used him to pour into others because he laid it on the line as a 20-something year old man. And uh, God, he never got to be the astronaut. He likes to watch him go up, you know. But instead, he's helped others get to brand new altitudes in their faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.